Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Swung on, lines to deep left field. It is gone! It went! This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 176. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, I'll have some meatballs, some fun little things that happened over the last week of baseball. Talk about Nick Sandlin and how very good he is immediately coming up. Talk about Roberto Perez breaking his finger, playing through it, and then now he's on the injured list, and Rene Rivera is in, and what's going on back there, and how well Cleveland can kind of just survive without him. Talk about Cleveland's place in the AL Central and the whole state of the division, which they find themselves in a probably advantageous position, considering where everything else is, considering where we thought they'd be coming into the year. And we'll preview the series coming up against the Cubs and Mariners, a couple of new teams they didn't play last year for once after playing Essential so many times over the first month. Um, Join me for all that and more. Another Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how are you doing? Great. Looking forward to finishing up this podcast so I can watch the wonderful 2010 film Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. <laughs> it's always good to start a podcast about how excited you are <laughs> when it's over. It, yeah. <laughs> so you can oh, watch yeah, a movie <laughs> from like six years ago. <laughs> it's 11 years ago, first of all. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to start off to get people interested. Really, yes. know that. I mean, come on, look at this movie, right? We're 133 minutes long. I mean, Michael Douglas, Shia LaBeouf. Somehow this costs seventy million dollars to make. Shia LaBeouf is expensive. He's not. I cheap. guess so. Two thousand what nine? That's peak Shia LaBeouf. That 2010. is two thousand ten. So yeah, this is post all the the great fame of the, the Transformers and Transformers Two and Transformers Afterbirth. I think is another one of them. And, yeah, uh, getting getting Shia LaBeouf then is like the equivalent of what Albert Pujols signed. Because I mean, getting Michael Douglas in nineteen eighty seven, basically, huh? Money <laughs> yeah, never right, sleeps, there baby. There you go. So yeah, it's um, my life. Yeah, so in between watching um, old Wall Street movies, which... Uh, it's not that old, man. Well, I mean, <laughs> old is. It's 10 years now. That's that's older than you think. I was I was watching The Thin Man last night, which I got to tell you, boring. And that's from 1942 or something. And that's just not my vibe. That's an old movie, pal. <laughs> I've been watching also very up-to-date things, which is um, subscribe to... What is that one? Paramount Plus? Mainly just for oh, the sure, old Nickelodeon yeah. stuff, but they have yeah, a Smithsonian channel. I'm stealing my buddy's uh, subscription to that. Pretty good. Yeah, they have the Smithsonian stuff, which is really cool. I was watching about the uh, the Apollo launches, and that was neat. In between baseball games, especially since the last two days now at this point, we haven't had any. But Absolute garbage. Absolute terrible. But you know what we have had, Merritt? Tell me. Oh, right. Meatball. We've had some meatballs because we've had games playing. Uh, Cleveland. They did went six and one over the last week, which was, I mean, the one loss is a, a pretty big one. It was being no hit by Wade Miley, but in between that, they did do some stuff. Um, so, Merritt, what's your meatball this week? Oh, I'm going first. All right. Did you, so the most consequential trade in recent Cleveland history, consequential is a big word, doing a lot of heavy lifting on this one, was what? What's the one that we kvetch about the most? I, I don't, 
I'm sure. Is it good or bad? Is consequential? Bad, bad, <laughs> bad. mostly. I mean, Lindor Carrasco, right? That's the one I'm still I, angry. I for. was thinking more the Jake Bauer Shigandi Diaz trade. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that one was terrible. <laughs> well, I submit to you the fact that they've done it. They found a new Yandy Diaz, and he's better than before. And today we're going to talk Bowers. about Harold Ramirez. <laughs> now yes. you laugh. However. Harold Ramirez has the third hardest hit ball on the entire team so far this year at 114.5 miles per hour. He has the fourth highest average exit velocity. Granted, only 18 batted ball events, but still, that's not bad. And, much like our own beloved Yandy Diaz, he has an average launch angle right there at negative 5.9 degrees. <laughs> so, right in the Yandy else? zone. What I'm telling you, but also he's fast, which is kind of neat. Uh, what I'm telling you is they've done it. They found Harold Ramirez. They found their starting center fielder. I'm not going to complain about him being a starting center fielder for quite a while at this point because he's fat, fast and hits the ball hard. And I'm a huge sucker for uh, you know just uh, guys who are just physically good at things, I guess. Now we're only talking about a couple of games here. He hasn't had a hit since uh, Kansas City. But then again, no one got any hits on uh, Friday, so we just throw that game out, and then he didn't even play on Saturday. So what are we? What are we to say here? What are we to do? What are we? How are we to look at this? He's probably good. What I'm saying is he's good. So there you go. Yeah, and and you mentioned too, like the the not many batted ball events, but you can take max exit velocity. Like that matters more than maybe not more, but like everybody gets caught up on average. But if you can hit one ball, how hard did he hit it? Like a hundred. 14 something like that but, but yeah if you can hit one that hard i mean the, the chances are pretty good you're gonna do it again and again it's better than hitting like a bunch of them at 89 and having a high hard hit rate if you can hit a bunch of them over 100 then you're doing good and that's always been a thing with harold too is like everybody knows he hits the ball hard it's the it, it's it's like you said he's yandy diaz he hits the ball hard but his launch angle sucks now, i'm not going to get into his, his plate discipline or the fact that he doesn't take any walks that seems like it's uh it's it's it's, it's muddling it's muddling the conversation but yeah the top five are uh Top five are 114.9, 114.7.5 is Ramirez, and then you drop all the way down to 111.8 with Jose Ramirez. Now, looking at things like barrels per plate appearance is a different conversation because then we run into things like Rene Rivera somehow being number one because he has like three plate appearances. But, I think he was pretty good in a couple of them. So I think it was two there or three go. in that one game. But uh, Superstar. Superstar in the making, uh, Harold Ramirez. Or maybe just decent role player if he learned to take a walk. We'll, we'll see how it goes. The eyes are open on Harold Ramirez. I mean, I don't mind him over over Ahmed Rosario in center field. Like, what they have, I'm perfectly fine. I I guess that leaves Jordan Lupo out, which kind of sucks. But I am fine with Harold Ramirez starting in center field at some point. I I would like to see Ramirez stay there and then Bo Naylor come up and have a lineup of Rosario, Ramirez, Rosario, Ramirez, Naylor, Naylor. (laughs) Or Mm -hmm. just go back and forth. Just do one, two, three, one, two, (laughs) three. Or Ramirez, Ramirez, Rosario, Rosario, Naylor, Naylor. I, I want that lineup. Or go like Naylor, Ramirez, Rosario, Rosario, Ramirez, Naylor. Whatever. Just have fun with it. Who cares, guys? <laughs> and Come then on. just Bowers at the end. <laughs> yeah, just Bowers. <laughs> ah, damn. Um, so mine this week is, but mine is about on Saturday when the, after the no-hitter, because that was not very good. But entering the game on Saturday, Cleveland had the third worst weighted pitch value against changeups, which was negative 10.8, which that's a cumulative stat. <laughs> that's It basically means like before an at-bat or before a pitch, this was the potential value and after the pitch, depending on what happened, this is how it changed. And Cleveland is just deep in the negatives. Um, they've seen 15.2% of change ups. The next closest was 13.5. So it's clearly something that teams are using against them 
and it's it was really effective because they they've been terrible about them all year long. I wrote mm-hmm. about it even a couple of weeks ago. Years, even it seems and, like. Yeah, years. It's just, I mean, again, it's the 2019. Lucas Giolito said they didn't adjust to it, and they just continued to to be bad against them. But um, on Saturday, they faced Luis Luis Castillo, who is off to a terrible start, but he's also has one of the best changes in baseball. I think even this year, it's still not that bad. Um, he threw it 24 times. They saw six from Carson Fulmer. Of those 20, they only swung and missed twice. They put eight in play and fouled off 10 of them, which I think is uh, it's pretty good. That's considering where they've been and who that pitcher was that they were facing, and they, they put so many balls in play. That's at least a tiny bit encouraging. It's only one game compared to the 30 where they've been awful against changeups, but um, it was nice to see him, first of all, coming off a no-hitter like that, and then second of all, against a pitcher that sort of just dismantled them with how he throws the ball. Um, but they still did it right. Jose Ramirez had a single off a low changeup in the eighth. Cesar Hernandez's triple. Um, was also off a, a changeup, so that's my little fun thing is the fact that they they hit all these changeups and they they finally hit a ball that they've been so bad against um, all year long. It's the bounce back that's just so pleasant because like everything you, you could just read that and go, they're just gonna get annihilated tomorrow too. The good pitcher is pitching. Ah, crap! But no, actually they just beat him up, just just bludgeoned him all around, and it was very satisfying. And as I said before, it starts to get no hit, but. At the end of the day, just a loss, and I figure once it's happened to you once in a year, you're like, "Well, I guess that's that's a stinker, huh, guys? Let's I guess come back out and bounce back on it." But and and one thing I definitely noticed for sure is that following a no hitter is way less fun than following a perfect game because even when they were getting perfect gamed by um, Carlos Rodon, it was still fun to follow because it's so much more tense. Like a no hitter is almost just nothing anymore. It happens multiple times a year, but following a perfect game until the last couple outs yeah it was really fun like i I think part of that also was because it was in chicago so it was more tense and the crowd was into it but i I think following a perfect game is way more i'd rather be perfect gamed than i mean win one nothing i think is more exciting but uh, i would prefer the the team i like win personally well (laughs) i mean Uh, if they're fine they'd rather watch a perfect game than because there's only been 23 of those there's been plenty of baseball wins man teams do that occasionally but I know I'd, I'd still rather win, but I mean, if, if if they were like already twenty games up in the division or something crazy, I'd rather just see them be perfect gamed and then win like a one nothing game that doesn't matter. But but not be no hit because that's not fun. Even if it is just one loss in the loss column, it's still a very annoying loss in the loss column. It happened like three hundred times now in major league history, which is crazy to think that um, five have happened already this year. That's a certain amount of percent. Point. <laughs> that is a number. Yeah, I think the Two White Sox alone are like thirty point eight percent or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The White Sox have done a bunch of those on them on their own. But um, so yeah, one person who did come up uh, this week, or he came up, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, um, is Nick Salen, who was a, a very interesting. I just uh, wrote about him like two days ago. What do you mean a couple weeks ago? <laughs> well, I mean, he came up when Logan Allen was option. He didn't pitch. Oh, came up, came up into but... the team, not came up in the zeitgeist. I get you. All oh, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Carry on, April carry 29th on. is when he was added to um, when Logan Allen was just terrible, which, by the way, he was bad again at AAA. But um, yeah, this is a guy who, who it's cool that he's here now, but he was a guy that it looked like he was going to be up almost in the majors in his rookie season, his professional debut season, because he rocketed up the AA in 2018. The year he was drafted, AAA in 2019, and that season was cut short because of surgery. Obviously, last year he lost it all because of the pandemic, and they didn't want to bring him up straight to the majors. But um, he's here now. He's with Cleveland. He's He's been amazing. As you said, you wrote about it. He's pitched 4.1 innings, no earned runs, four strikeouts, um, a, a lot of weak contact. It's He's fun to watch just because, one, he's good, and two, he has such a weird arm motion that it's 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 fun to watch. And Especially comparing it to some of the other pitchers, like Cal Quantrill throws way overhead and 
um, all this other stuff. It's I, I think he's going to be really good this season. I don't think he's going to be going down again. But I was I was just thinking about this uh, the other day. There was an article I don't know last October sometime just talking about the the Rays and their kind of their bullpen um, arsenal basically and how uh, in any given t- I, what they did is some guy just overlaid all the different arm points from where a pitch may be coming at you depending on who's pitching during the game and it was every it was basically like an entire rainbow of arm angles because it was lefties and righties and side armors and submariners and overhead guys and three-quarter guys obviously and uh it's it's one of the little things that i think doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to um when it just comes to pitching being hard to hit i guess uh, because yeah, because you get used to this release point and like yeah the, the, you you look at someone like uh, Shane Bieber and his release points are pinprick basically. Uh, but then all of a sudden you bring someone else in and like, you're used to seeing the ball here. All of a sudden it's all down over here. Now most pitches obviously are doing kind of a three quarter thing. But... Now he's so much fun to watch. I, 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 when I read about that article, I mentioned that guy on the, um, on the giants who like releases the ball, like, like his knuckles are scraping the ground as he releases the ball basically, which is really, really cool. I love, I love a true submariner. Um, but Chandler's great, you know, and like he, he has a very fun complimentary east kind of east west pitch uh, mix. Um, he's definitely someone where you could start complaining like, oh, if only he could throw an X or a Y, he'd be absolutely unhittable. It's like he's already really hard to hit. Like who cares? Like shoot, it, like he throws a quote unquote sinker or two seamer, but it just it moves very hard horizontally. Simply because the, his the arm angle doesn't allow for a lot of drop, so you could complain about him not having a lot of drop on his sinker. But again, who cares? Uh, his his slider looks like it rises for God's sake. So it does. I'm watching that, the gif in your article. It's just, it's awesome. It like moves the two up. pitches, like, they're so weird. Like I know it technically can't do that, but it obviously looks like it is. And yeah, like it's, it's, just, and so it's, but that pairing is just very hard. It's going to be very, it's going to bedevil people. And he's at this point, the fourth or fifth or sixth best reliever they have. It seems like it took the, like the team a few years to, finally pull it off, but it's very obvious that they've been building this, this kind of uh, bullpen. And then of course you luck into a, a reclamation project from Brian Shaw and it just adds to it. So um, he really is going to make things because, you know, like we got really used to the, the, the kind of the one, two, three, or just the, 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 the you know, the, whatever the, the back two in Karen check and class a plus whoever else is going to be like Whitgren or whoever, but uh, people mentioning it is in the comments of my article. I don't read the comments. What are you talking about? About how they <laughs> they have two legit seven eight nines basically at this point. Yeah, and if you if you took like Classe, Karinchak, and Shaw out of the picture, like that comment said, like if you have, I don't know, Whitgren, Maton, and Sandlin, that's another really good one two three. <laughs> like yeah, you no, have exactly. Multiple. Or, um, I mean, Whitgren's been bad so far, but I mean, I don't think he's gonna be that bad forever. And so is Maton if he can get his shit under control. I think he can be good too. But that's another one two three you have. Which is amazing. But then even you know, I mean, Henches, depending on where he ends up, he's got a, he's got a big, powerful arm, and uh, Quantrill, I think, is a pretty valuable reliever. Uh, you mentioned Mayton. I've uh, Trevor St- Stefan. Um, maybe I don't know. We'll find out. Like that's the thing. Like, like we have a sample size with, with Stefan of like ten of like ten innings. So same thing. We have like what four innings or something with Sandlin. So yeah, uh, I feel it, like fu- Sandlin is a me- like your your title is perfect because it's what he is. Like he, you can immediately tell he's really good. Like I don't know if it'll last forever, but his immediate impact has been so good. It's it's um, just, how just are you gonna hit that? Like quite right. honestly, like like there's some there's some pitchers whose whose repertoire kind of runs into itself, and there's some who just, like like someone like Shaw or even Class A, like their repertoire is cutter slider, and you're like those those move the same. I don't know how that's. I mean, Class A obviously makes sense because it was 100 miles an hour. Uh, Shaw now throws 97, and he just throws a very good cutter. 
like Karen check where his fastball and his curveball complement each other perfectly. The same exact things happening here with Sandlin. So he's just, he's able to create just tunneling and it, it, you, you literally have to pick one way or the other and just hope for the best. And if he becomes kind of a 50, 50 pitcher where he throws them half the time and half the time, it's going to be hell for hitters. It's going to cause some heartbreak eventually because he's going to give up a couple of, you know, Let's I guess right, then they're going to... Yeah. yeah, he's going to hang a cement mixer, and people like to hit sinkers. So the thing is, he, he throws through pitches that when you throw them poorly, they go a very long way. But he just has to not do that, and he'll be fine. There you yeah. go. And be am perfect. I crazy, or does he like... I know he's not a submariner because he's too high up, but he does like the little flick with the wrist. Like, he's not a typical side armor, right? Like, he puts a little stank on it when he pitches it. Oh, I mean, he's got of... that weird little kind of crouch down thing, too, so it just seems lower than... like it, 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 The release point is lower than just a normal side armor, but... um. Because it's like he's under the ball when he's releasing almost. It's yeah. weird compared to like, yeah. um, like other I think where he just gets that movies. massive horizontal movement, the, the kind of bizarre, seems like it's running uphill on you with the slider. That's such a cool pitch. Yeah, it is. He, he's going to be throwing a bunch. Um, and, and one thing, I mean, it depends on who he's going to be throwing to now. Like in his in his first start, I think he was throwing to Perez in that gift because he was still there at that point. But um, no, it was actually Hedges. But that's what going to be throwing to a lot more now is Austin Hedges because Roberto Perez... Um, here at his finger, middle of last month, when for some reason all James Karinchak throws is a fastball and a curveball, but they got their signs mixed up, and that would look terrifying because I can't imagine, a, first of all, a ball coming at you when it's either a fastball or a curveball is scary enough, but not knowing which is which because he, I think it was he was looking for a curveball, but it was a fastball, and he ended up just basically standing up and trying not to get hit somewhere without padding. And ended up yeah. <laughs> I can't um, remember that, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, I guess. Yeah, he actually broke his finger and then played through it for a couple of weeks and then decided that's not a good idea. So now he's going to be out. Uh, the way that Terry Francona put it was it's not weeks, it's months, which sounds like I mean, there's only, only so many months in a baseball season. So it's going to be a I pretty big said, chunk of time, I think, I Roberto think Perez is 10 to 12 gone. weeks. So, I mean, he'll probably, probably be back by the All-Star break, which is a long time, and which sucks because like, he was having, not in terms of results, but at the play, he was having a very good um, – process here he was hitting the ball hard he wasn't hitting the ball as often but when he did hit the ball he was hitting it very hard so um it's, it's a shame to have him to lose him it, it, it's funny to say that now because we had this exact same conversation in 2016 i mean yeah when it was jan gomes that was <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> and it, it is, is, it's hedges kind of the good. same thing because they have yeah. austin hedges who's younger um it, the, the ages i think actually might almost be exact because austin hedges is 28 and roberto perez is 32 now i think roberto was like one year younger um, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing. We we questioned. Um, I think we understood why they had eight million tied up in catchers when their their payroll was only fifty million. But um, this is exactly why they have Austin Hedges, who I I think I said at the time of the trade is like he is just a younger Roberto Perez. He's a really good guy behind the plate. He's terrible on offense, but um, it was pretty evident in Cleveland or in San Diego that he could lead a pitching staff, and I think he's. At this point, I mean, he's has a 22 WRC plus. He's not going to hit anything, but um, he's been really good defensively. Just the few games he's covered for Perez, and since he's been injured now, um, they brought up Renee Rivera. They actually signed him. Um, it was like the day after the injury, and then nobody seemed to think it was related. Weirdly it enough, seems but fine. Everyone yeah, said, fine. Yeah. "Yeah, yeah." No, they said it was. They were totally working on it before. It's fine. It, this wasn't related whatsoever, but. Um, it just happened to be Rene Rivera was up when Roberto Perez eventually won in the IL and that's where he is now. He came up, he was really good for a couple of games. So, um, I'm assuming we'll see hedges pretty much almost every day, except for night games after day or day games after night games. Yeah. Something like that, which we, I mean, we saw on Saturday cause it was a day game, but, um, I, I think they'll be probably fine. I feel like they could survive a 
their their pitch and their the data they have for their catchers, I think, is so good. I mean, and obviously Roberto is a big part of that, but everyone who comes through, like all the pitchers, catchers, whoever, always says like they have all this good data, and I don't think that's Roberto all on his own. I think somewhere along the line, somebody is giving them a lot of good scouting information, and um, they just have these guys like Hedges they know who can who can handle it the same way Roberto can and get it to the pitchers. So, yeah, no, um, I, th- I think this is one of the reasons, and we've talked about this several times before now. Like Hedges is is the they they spend the money, they invest the resources into finding catchers because they know, and I, I mean everyone knows that it's, it's an it's an unquantifiable thing, basically. Yeah, and I'm sure somewhere they have something that quantifies it. But I mean, for some, us, yeah, it's but, unquantifiable, right? Exactly, but it's like it's like it's it's difficult, I guess, or it's it's very um, hard to easily quantify. I guess um, it's lots of lots of moving parts and all these different things, and uh, managing just things like everything from the pitch mix to the you know you know calling the game and all that crap. Um, just all the way down to framing and, and everything like that too. So, but listen, I mean, they, they made the invest. They, they trade for him for a reason, and I mean, apparently this year he's bad at framing, and last year he was mediocre at framing. But the previous years he was always very, very good. So I'm going to believe those numbers more. <laughs> I'm going to believe the ones that fit to my story, which is well, the ones where that, that are any <laughs> level of sample size. Right? Yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is my real take. But yes, exactly. yeah, these ones make me feel better. So I will, I will listen to that. Yeah, because like he goes 17, he's 95th in framing runs. 2018, he's down at 70, 71st percentile. Uh, back in 100th percentile in 2019, 57th in 2020, and now in the 10th percentile in 2021. But he's also caught like four games. So yeah, I, I wonder if this is even more less quantifiable but i wonder if like different pitchers require different framing styles like if there's something about a way a staff throws or like the certain stuff you have if it's harder easier to frame like if compared to what hedges had in san diego maybe it's a little more difficult to adjust and then he's like getting there but also i mean it's it's what 60 games compared to 300 <laughs> so i i'm with you I, I think the bigger sample size is probably the right one here but um I do wonder if there's like a thing, like if it's different framing correctly for each pitcher, because we know you can't just grab a ball and fling it in the middle of the zone and it'll count as framing. Like it's all about subtle little things you do with framing. And if balls come in differently, if, if you get your signs crossed up and you don't know what's going on, then it's going to affect the framing. But um, I, um, I've read an article about this like two years ago, three years ago, comparing um, like Gomes and Perez. And like, I just remember uh, discovering that, and I don't know if this was a which way this went because it could have been like the pitchers that one catches versus the other, but like one was better at framing on the edge on the like the sides of the zone as opposed to the top and the bottom. And I think I mean I think part of the two was Gomes just taller than Perez is, so maybe that had something to do with his being able to frame high pitches a bit better. But also again, like Perez was only ever catching what um, I don't know. He, only, he I, was only I, catching I think, Trevor Bauer at one yeah, point. Yeah, Trevor Bauer, and then the catch, but, but but then obviously we had a whole season like a, most of a season of him too, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's it's uh, it's got to be. It, it probably has something to do with the pitch mix of what you're facing, and then also knowing the pitchers is important. I mean, we saw how important that was when he got crossed up by goddamn James Karinchak. <laughs> Which is it, it's not even the first time. That was the first time, but it wasn't the only time. Because <laughs> no, it's happened several <laughs> times. <laughs> and since they they talked about it for a while during one game, and were like saying things, going back to the dugout and laughing about it, and. Roberto was saying something to Terry Francona and the dugout and they laughed about it. So I, I would kill to know what that conversation was like, <laughs> like what is going on there that makes it so confusing with two signs. If, if Karen check just refuses to maybe throw the thing he wasn't called for and he was doing it, I don't know, but it's, he I would love to know. Forgets. Wait, <laughs> yeah. two is what? <laughs> a slider? I don't have a slider. All right, here we go. Splitter. That's a weird one. All <laughs> right. Here. Can we do that? <laughs> is that legal? <laughs> 
I'm a knuckleballer now? You got it, Bebo. All right, let's do this. I'd love to somebody just like break out a knuckleball. Because I mean, like um, Zach Granke does an EFIS once in a while. That's always fun. I'd love to see like James Carey Jack just bust out a knuckleball. Matt, we need a knuckleballer back in Major League we do. Baseball. I we just don't have any like right now, right? None. There's not a single one anywhere. The last one was that guy in in Boston. Um, not Wakefield, the other one. Because uh, I, I think we Wakefield and R.A. Dickey, and then we had the other guy. And that was it. Was like, it low? I, I can't remember his first name, but no. no um, I think his name's over the W. I can't remember the name off the top of my head though. But yeah, it's, it's just sad because it's probably the greatest art in all of uh, Major League Baseball because it it just takes such a weird head to just be able to just go. It'll be fine. Twenty, you know, a hundred <laughs> times a game, whatever. You know, it's like this is, what's it? Where's this going? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Who knows? We'll find out when it gets there. Hey, it, it could go four hundred feet the other direction or not. So I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I mean, especially now when everybody's so keyed up on fastballs, you would think that. Well, and now with the ball being lighter, too, like this year specifically, oh, man, a knuckleballer would feast. He he probably would have saw young, R.A. Dickey style. (laughs) Yeah, which, again, that that alone is crazy that R.A. Dickey, I mean, it's the pitching atmosphere wasn't quite the same as it is right now, but the fact that he won it, in the 2010s is that was wild really weird yeah <laughs> very strange and then he was <laughs> and then the who was it the mets or the the blue jays traded him for way too much and then it was, yeah, yeah. yeah cinder guard I mean, and, yeah. and then a hitter too i think it was yeah, a lot it was not a good trade for them but no no really did uh, really kind of <laughs> shorten that a little window they had there but you yeah, know, tiny little window yeah you gotta try to win now if we want to talk closing windows man um we have I think I think a lot of people sort of thought Cleveland's was, if not closing, then it was being propped up by sticks and maybe would be open to more in a couple of years. Like this is supposed to be a transition year, but where they're sitting now is not a bad place. Um, Eighteen and fourteen, they're a game back of the White Sox. They, they play the White Sox and Twins again coming up. They have a little West Coast road trip, then they come back and play them more. But I mean, also every other team has just had such bad luck. I think Roberto Perez has been the worst thing for Cleveland, but. The White Sox, Eloy Jimenez died, and then they had a funeral for him on opening day. <laughs> Luis Robert is injured now. Um, Lucas Giolito just looks average or looks mortal at this point. Um, they're basically just being propped up by Yerman Mercedes, who, I mean, he's fun and all, but he's clearly outperforming everything. Yeah, 450 yeah, that, Babbitt or something like that. That's yeah, going to come is. down quite a bit, I think. Um, and then Tony Russa has just been an absolute disaster. He kept G- Lucas Giolito too far, too long in a game, didn't guess, realize he was gassed. Rules. Yeah, didn't know the rule. <laughs> admitted it after the game that he didn't know that you could i mean it's 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 an obscure rule but if you have a pitcher with the second inning or the the extra inning rule you can have a, a batter run for him and still use him as a pitcher but he didn't seem to know that nobody in the dugout knew um which i saw somebody on twitter point out that it might actually be that like people did know but they didn't feel like they could tell tony Larusa and make him feel like he was wrong which is i think even kind of a worse thing if that's the case but um, he's just been an absolute dumpster fire there, which is not a surprise. I don't know anybody that thought it would go well, but it's wild that he's pitched Evan Marshall as much as he has. Quite honestly, like, I just like because that's the thing. Like you mentioned obviously with the the dear departed, uh, <laughs> may he rest, <laughs> may he rest. Um, and obviously with with, uh, with Luis Robert getting hurt, but like the thing, you know, the, the the offense is still holding together. Um, it's, at this point, it's now above average. Uh, as far as you go down to the OPSs and whatnot, your interstate will c- come crashing down. The pitching looks great. I mean, obviously, Giolito looks average, but Keiko is strong. And I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a, of a return to the median with Carlos Rodon, but like Cease looks strong. But their use of their bullpen is stupid. And it's been really game saving for a lot of teams, I think. 
because there's no reason why Evan Marshall should have 13.1 innings pitched. <laughs> I mean, they have that. They have Larry Garcia playing too much in center field. They have, I mean, that's part of just because everybody's injured, but they're also using him so much compared to like. Isn't Billy Hamilton on this team? He is. Yeah, he gets a lot of play there too. Yeah. Like he's yeah. okay. He's like Terry Francona on steroids of all the the bad decisions that he made, but they're all way way worse. <laughs> like he's overusing Larry Garcia. Like I said, Evan Marshall. He's he's set into these bullpen roles. He doesn't know when to take out his starter. It's just everything is just so bad and so I predictable. Think it was someone on Twitter said that Billy Hamilton is the absolute worst person you could possibly give. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's his name? Uh, Tony Larusa. Yeah, him and it's yeah, they're both. What a bad idea, man, <laughs> man. It's so bad. I love it. But yeah, it really, like you said, the whole division is absolutely wide open. I don't know if it's open the twins. Like they just can't get out of their own way. They are. If you go to like Twinkie town, which is our equivalent of covering the corner, it is just sad over there. <laughs> it's, it it's how we sense. feel in the off season. Cause they're just so bad. And how are they so bad? I mean, obviously I mean, injuries hurt sucks. One, yeah. yeah. That's your injuries have been sapping them. Uh, Simmons got COVID. Weirdly enough, when he didn't get a vaccine, but you know, it's fine. But, you know, like they said, they should be good, but the pitching's not there either. And And it's not just Buxton either. It's they have Luis Arias, who's injured, Alex Kirilov, um, Edward Kalina, they're all injured. Yeah. So they're they're relying on a bunch of these rookies who are obviously going to be inconsistent. Like Trevor Larnack is is up. He's he's really good and he's not been good since he came up, but he's only in a couple games. I think they'll be okay, is the thing. If they can get back to five hundred and we just saw this in twenty nineteen, if they get back to five hundred by the end of June, they'll be fine. But like will they? I don't know. Like everyone's still hurt and like the pitching looks fine, but is it is Michael Pineda really a 243 ERA guy. His fielding independent pitching is 4.15. I just feel like there's going to be some, you know, narrowing on that. J.A. Happ? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. They're employing a lot of slow dudes in the outfield. So, you know, balls will drop. Yeah, you know, we, we, we've seen it firsthand when you have great pitching and you have bad outfield. So, yeah, the, the division really is – Royals are coming back to earth. It's really wide open for the Indians. And now with the uh, – we were talking about the bullpen before – they're very much built in many ways, kind of like that Rays team. Like they don't have a punchy offense; they have some young guys with upside. Maybe they'll find their own Randy Arozarena somewhere. Who knows? Maybe his name is Harold Ramirez. Uh, and yeah, I, there's no reason to, at this point. Obviously, it's May 10th. Uh, I see no reason why they couldn't win the division still. Oh, of course, yeah. I see many reasons why they couldn't, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and no matter what, like I'd rather be the team that's ahead and being chased than. Oh, chase the twins like last year it was fun chasing or in 2019 it was fun chasing down the twins but also they got there and just fell right back immediately and missed the playoffs but um yeah the royals have been fun like they were <laughs> leading the division they had the best record in baseball at the beginning of may 10 days later they have like the 20th worst record in baseball so life comes at you fast in baseball especially when you go one of nine over 10 games and lose eight in a row it doesn't exactly go great. So, I mean, Minnesota, they can always just rebound and go on a big winning streak. Because I'm sure they will at some point. We just kind of they get to play that. the Royals and Tigers, you know? I mean, they get to play they get to play bad teams, too. And, like, you know, it's just you, you dig yourself a hole and you got to dig yourself out. We, we saw Cleveland have to do that several times over the last many years. They were just benefited from the division stinking, basically. So, um, the division doesn't – does the division stink now? Well, at this point, I can't even tell. Because, like, you're in the record, you're like, yes, they do. But do they? They do. But do yeah. they? So I, I think – yeah, I think overall they do now, but it's like a, a thing you know they can be better than what they are, but right this second, they're, they're pretty bad. And so Cleveland does have where they play. Um, so they have a little West Coast trip. They play the Cubs, 
Yeah, the West Angels. Coast of Chicago. That's right. The <laughs> West like Coast a, of Lake Michigan. Here we go. <laughs> that's their transfer station in Chicago. And then they're in the Mariners, Angels. Then they're back again. So the Twins, Tigers, uh, Blue Jays are mixed in there. And then White Sox. So, I mean, like after that, after June, we could see like that's a lot of games playing your own division. And if if they could stay hot for a month and then also the White Sox are beat up and the, the Twins are, are whatever the hell's going on over there, like they could be in a really good position by the end of June. Um, just to set up for figuring out what they need by the time the trade deadline rolls around and being the team that's on top and being chased as opposed to 20 games back trying to catch up. So I think it's a, it's a, you can't ask for much better position considering what they did this off season, which was essentially nothing. And they have the, such a low payroll. Like you can't ask to be better than a game back and have a chance to play the team leading you in a couple of weeks. So a team that again was built on its offense in a year where they've lost first of all two of the big bigger con- contributors. Uh, the third one is going to come back to earth because that MVP running went on last year was insane. But also in a year where they've made the ball even harder to hit. So um, for a team that is very much built on pitching, it's really it's very well placed for Cleveland to squeak by them. I think. And you know, same thing with the Twins, right? Bomba squad is being kind of neutered in a way because they can't. Go Bomba quite so What would they be called now? They're not they're obviously not the Bomba squad. They're like the Bomba The Bimble Squad. squad. Like Bimble like... Squad. Bumble Squad. Bumble, Bumble squad. squad. There we go. We got it. <laughs> Let me write that down for show title. Bumble Squad. There we go. <laughs> Google that Google that before you just, just to check the SEO. You need to make sure. Bumble squad.com. Make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Good. All right, cool. Oh, yeah. and it does good. Perfect. All right, let's use it. All right, great. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, so Cleveland, like you, you mentioned, they have a, a quote-unquote West Coast trip, which includes a nice little trip to Chicago in the middle, just you know to see the sights and catch some wind or whatever they have in Chicago. That's kind of a weird one because it's at 6 p.m. tomorrow and then a day game the day after. And then from there, they go to Seattle, um, which is that's just a layover, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for, not transfer station. Yeah. Um, and then they play, oh, God. Uh, two 10 p.m. games and a 9 p.m. game, which is just awful. For some reason, yeah, for the one Twins. Of them's a, one of them's like a weekend game. I love those. I was, I was watching that the other, uh, over the weekend. You like 9 p.m. weekend games? Hell yeah. I don't, I don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess that one will be over by midnight at least. So it's not, the one, so, the so one person I hang out with is out of town. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm still kind of – I'm vaccinated. I'm still kind of bubbling here. I don't know. Like, so, you know. Um, but yeah. And then they have – all so Sunday too is 4 10 which is late for a sunday because we're over here but yeah and so I, I think the most notable thing coming up um this week i mean the cubs obviously they have some connection to that team a little bit i don't know when i'm gonna let that so go but it's not yet <laughs> it's they're still connected to them for the 2016 world series but also from 2016 um so if everything stays the way it is uh, based on what roster resource projects which is basically just going by the order of the pitchers uh just as sheffield they should play him on saturday i think is, oh that's fun yeah He's one of the ones they traded for Andrew Miller, obviously in 2016, which Terry, this will be the first time they've played any pitcher from that series, which I thought was kind of interesting because um, Fire Eisen, he was, he's actually on the Brewers now, which is cool because he grew up in Milwaukee, but, or around the area in Wisconsin. And then Ben Heller is on Arizona, but he's, he hasn't made the majors this year. I think he might be injured. And then of course, Justice Sheffield was on the Yankees for one year and then went to Seattle for a couple of years. And that's where he is now. And they don't play him very often. So. This will be the first time they face him, which I think will be cool. Um, he was always one of my favorite pitching prospects when he was here. And then I was obviously okay with him leaving because it meant we had um, Mr. Andrew Miller here, which was cool. But yeah, any um, what, what sticks out to you for these coming up series, I guess, between the 
Well, I'm just, I'm really, I, I gotta say, just peripherally, I've really been enjoying Chris Bryant's kind of screw you Cubs kind of tour he's going on this year. He really hates that team, it seems like. He's just so good. He's killing it. He's, he's having maybe the best year of his career. And you're just like, yeah, dude, hell yeah, screw that team. Yeah, beat him up. Get him. Oh, uh, yeah, I, was, I, I don't know. I've, I, the Cubs are still a neat team. I, I, they will continue to be a team that just, I, I marvel at because this team was supposed to be good for a decade. And they're just like, we gotta blow it up. It's over. We're done. Yeah, and this is the year they, they, Manipulated service time and went through all that just so they can get this year for Chris Bryant, which is back. And they're itself. currently what third place? Yeah, third place in a 500 team. So no, I think it'll be fun. I mean, I'm, I'm sad we're not going to see Kyle Hendricks. I think he's one of the most fun pitchers to watch pitch. It's like watching a much better version of uh, what's his name on 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 Cleveland. Uh, oh fuck, he pitched over the weekend. Aaron Savali. Thanks. Thanks, man, for the help. You're welcome. I was here for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make the um, edit easier because I don't know it either. So I'm just waiting. I'll find the blank space. and. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, the, the team's not very good at this point. Um, they have a couple of fun players to watch, though. So that's always fun. And then it's always fun to watch the Mariners because like, they exist in this area outside of time. And you're like, what's keeping going on up there? I don't know. They've always been, they're always bad. Like they're, they're above 500 this time, but they're, you know, they're still in third place. So it'll be nice to see how some of these younger guys, because they've been rebuilding forever, it seems like. So it'll be nice to see if we can see any of the younger guys actually play, like uh, Taylor Trammell. Uh, it's a shame we can't see any of the actual good, you know, the, the big names they have. But like you mentioned, it'll be neat to see Justice Sheffield and some of the other guys. It's, you know, two teams that aren't very good, um, but they're two teams that we don't see very much of. So that's always exciting to see because I, you know, I like to watch baseball a lot. But after I watch one Cleveland game, I usually end up watching, like, you know, like on a Friday, I'll watch a Cleveland game, and then it'll be 10.30, and since I don't go anywhere, I'll put on the Dodgers game or something and half-watch it, or I'll just, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's Shohei yeah, Otani or something like that. So I was going to mention that because, I mean, the Mariners are always there. They're always a late game, but I'm always watching the Dodgers or Angels. There's no reason to watch the Mariners. Like, oh, I can't watch the Dodgers or the Angels? Well, I guess I'll watch the Padres. Okay, <laughs> yeah, guess, right. Yeah, or the I Giants. Mean, I guess I'll watch the Giants? I got to go through the list. Like, oh, God damn it. Come on. <laughs> None of on the West Coast. So, yeah. They're definitely the last choice when it comes to watching that late game. And so, you know. Which I think could change uh, pretty soon because they have like Julio Rodriguez and, like you said, Jared Kalanick, who, who a fake account tricked um, John Heyman today and he thought they were coming up, um, but that didn't actually happen. And also, for anyone who follows prospects, Sam Haggerty used to be a Cleveland Indians prospect and now he's on the Mariners and not very good, but. Um, that's another interesting thing. I think he was DFA'd at one point, went to the Mets, didn't make it there, or he did make it there for a couple of games. Um, and then he was actually pretty good for the Mariners last year, and this year he's not very good so far. But um, that's somebody who was it was in the system for a while, which is kind of neat. Um, like you said, Taylor Trammell, he was another very slight Cleveland connection. He was part of the three-team deal for uh, Trevor Bauer. It, it was the same deal, but it was the Padres that sent um, Fred Noel Reyes for Taylor Trammell. <laughs> like, hey, let me get why it on this. Do that? Yeah. Why are you here? <laughs> Are you going to make a trick? I got this guy over here. Hey, what's up, guys? Are you busy? Let uh, me get some of this. I got, I got a player. Oh, doesn't matter. Trades? What do you think? Tradesies? He's like the... I was that kid with Pokemon cards because I just wanted to trade. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I traded to Starmie once and I cried afterwards because he wouldn't give it back. I, I feel like that's basically what the, the Padres were in that deal. Did you trade for the Starmie? No, I traded, traded my Starmie away. I didn't know what rarities were. It was only a diamond. It was basically worthless, but it was mine and I liked it and... He didn't give it back after I regretted the trade. So, well, you're stupid. You're a stupid little kid, <laughs> and that's why you can't trust stupid little kids. <laughs> and I also traded I, again. I think I'm the Padres here. I traded the 
I don't know if they were Burger King, but there's some kind of promotional card where they were just like full art cards. You couldn't use them in the game or anything, obviously, but I traded a bunch of regular cards for those because I thought they were cooler, but also they were like just these cheap perforated things that you ripped off and they were just garbage, but I traded a bunch anyway. So what I'm saying is that's the equivalent, I think, of trading Taylor Trammell for Fran Reyes, which they, nobody asked him to be involved. Cleveland got Yasiel Puig and they were good to go. I'll take um, it, baby. But they also got those out Trace. of it, so. Yeah. Trades. Right. Trade. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice. Chris Flexen's also an interesting pitcher for them. They have a bunch of not great, but you they have, have so many interesting players. Like Justin I Dunn. I swear is we've one. been saying they have some interesting pitchers yeah. for 150 <laughs> years. It's like, always so close. Like it's like obviously you know they had uh, uh, they had Felix Hernandez, but then behind him there's always like this guy could be pretty good. Oh, this yeah. guy. I mean, they had Cliff oh, Lee yeah. for a year. That was Cliff fun. Lee, yeah, that was a neat little his little tour of, of yeah of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Go, yeah. I don't know. Refresh himself in the in, in the forests for a time, and then he journeyed down to. And then, and then he was traded down to Texas. Was that that trip? Yeah, yeah. He went to okay. Texas, and then yeah, for, for the yeah. half season, and then he was for Justin Smoke, one of my favorite named person uh, in the history of baseball, because he was all smoke, no fire. A hey, bad hitter. Oh, it was a. It, it'll be a fun couple of series. Not not exciting, probably, but there's just some magic about these late night games. I don't know. Um, Oh, Twitter's be, always fun. Everybody gets weird. I like. Well, that it'll be great that. too because, like, that, this didn't happen last year. The announcers aren't traveling with the team, and so like Matt, uh, Matt Underwood, they're gonna be dying. They're just gonna be so <laughs> punched right in the game. Oh man, Tom Hamilton is gonna be pissy. <laughs> oh, so he doesn't man. go either. He stays back too. No, yeah, I wasn't yeah, sure yeah, if he I, goes. I, I know the, to, the TV guys do. I was into Reds game. I think it was or some game a couple a couple weeks ago. He said. Boy, Rosie, we got to get back out on the road. But yeah, yeah, they're not they're not traveling. Oh, yeah. so. They are going to be oh man, because there's not going to be any adjustment period for them. They they either got to sleep or yeah, basically. Yeah, like, yeah, just like you got to get up now at ten and start calling the game or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Manning's going to start swearing at like three in the oh, morning. It's going to be yeah, so they're going to be. This is usually my scotch. This is bullcrap. I like in the booth now. Yeah, I have my scotch every night at 1030. I've been doing it for years. I usually do it local time, but look where I am. Local time. (laughs) It's the second inning now. I'm doing it anyway. It's in my contract. Yeah, that's right. It is (laughs) his contract. (laughs) Well, there you go. I I like how in the booth now, because I think him, uh, Matt Underwood, and Andre Knott are all just in the same room. And like they'll joke, and in the background, you can hear Andre laugh in the distance. That's always my favorite part because <laughs> he's trying not to get in the way, but you can hear him because he's there. That's really good. During games, like during home games, he's wandering around just doing nothing. But when they're away, they're in a different room, and you can hear ha <laughs> play in the back. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened more than once. I love it. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it for us, man. We talked about everything. Got the games coming up. We um, did it, everyone. We talked about everything. Everything in the world. We talked about Mitch Haniger. We we forgot. That's the one thing we forgot. We talked about him. There we go. We covered it. We're done. Covered, um, got him. Uh, Kyle Seeger, you know, he's you still there, he's, still, he's still there. Oh, I, I mean, Kyle still hitting two fifty. High France. And, he's not very good. He's, I guess, he's pretty good. He's young, but you know, they got they got players. I mean, hey, Cubs, they, they still got big Tony Rizzo, huh? Hey, Tony, <laughs> hey, yo, there you go. they got Matt Duffy for some reason. I'm uh, not sure why. Somehow hitting two fifty five, two eighty eight, five eighteen gives you a one twenty three OPS plus. That's Javier Bias for you, baby. Swinging at everything and more and more. Jock Peterson. Remember how many times we wrote how we wanted Jock Peterson on Cleveland? I do. Many I wrote. Times. Yeah, I tried to build that into existence. I still, I'd, I'd take him now. I mean, he's not very good, but I'd you know, him. I'll say this: I don't understand the idea behind getting rid of Kyle Schwarber and then getting Jock Peterson. They're the same person. <laughs> I don't think it saved him much money either. No, I don't. Think so. Well, let's see. Jock Peterson he signed a contract for seven million dollars. 
And then we pop over here. Now, I did see Kyle Schreiber hit a ball a quarter mile for a walk-off home run a little while back, and that was really cool. Um, but he's being paid $10 million. So. Wow, so they saved a tiny bit, I guess, if that's what their goal is. But And I also forgot, too, on the Cubs, they have Tony Walters. That's another Cleveland prospect connection. Do they really? Oh, that's fun. I've always enjoyed Tony Walters. I interviewed him on a podcast a long time ago. Oh, did you? That's cool. Nice kid. Yeah, back when he was still in, the, in like the double A or something like that. Nice oh, guy. Nice. Yeah, he was really yeah. good for his rookie season in Colorado, and then it, and then Colorado happened to him. But well, you know, he got Coloradoized. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> All right, man. That'll do us for us this week. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on CoveringTheCorner.com. At Facebook and Covering the Corner, which we finally got our name changed on there. So you can actually just look for Covering the Corner now, which it only took 20 appeals through Facebook's very good functional process, but it's there. SEO, baby. We did it. <laughs> on Twitter at Cover the Corner. Um, find me on Twitter at Matt R-O-Y. Merritt at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch with the lunch. Uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.